Section 16 of The Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Chevigny Castle. 8th November. Dearest Mamma, I am sure I shall enjoy myself here. The train was so late, and only two other people were coming by it besides me, so we all drove up in the omnibus together. One was a man, and the other a woman, and she glared at me, and fussed her maid so about her dressing bag, and it was such a gorgeous affair, and they had such quantities of luggage, and the only thing they said on the drive up was how cold it was, and they wondered when we should get there. And when we did arrive, there was only just time to rush up and dress for dinner. All the other people had come by an earlier train. I left them both in the care of the groom of the chambers, as even cousin Octavia had gone upstairs, and there was not a soul about, but she had left a message for me, and while Agnes was clawing the things out of the trunks, I went to her room. She was just having her hair done, but she did not mind it a bit, and was awfully glad to see me. She is a dear. Her hair is as dark as anything underneath, but all the outside is a bright red. She says it is much more attractive like that, but it does look odd before the front thing is on, and that is a fussy bit in a net, like what royalties have. And then she has lots of twist things round at the back, and although it doesn't look at all bad when the diamond stick-ups are in and she is all arranged. She went on talking all the time while her maid was fixing it, just as if we were alone in the room. She told me I had grown six inches since she was with us at the Arcacon three years ago and that I was quite good-looking. She said they had a huge party for the balls, some rather nice people, and Lady Lorraine and one or two others she hated. I said why did she have people she hated, that I would not if I were a countess like her. So she said those were often the very ones one was obliged to have, because the nice men wouldn't come without them. She hoped I had some decent clothes, as she had got a tame millionaire for me. So I said if it was Mr. Wetz, she need not bother because I knew him, and besides, I only intended to marry a gentleman, unless, of course, I should get past twenty and pass A, and then goodness knows what I might take. She laughed and said it was ridiculous to be so particular, but that anyway that would be no difficulty, as everyone was a gentleman now who paid for things. Then she sent me off to dress, just as she began to put some red stuff on her lips. It is wonderful how nice she looks when everything is done even though she has quite a different coloured chest to the top bit that shows above her pearl colour, which is brickish red from hunting. So is her face, but she is such a dear that one admires even her great big nose and little black eyes, which one would think hideous in other people. I met Tom just going into her room as I came out. He said he had come to borrow some scent from her. He looks younger than she does, but they were the same age when they got married, weren't they? He kissed me and said I was a dear little cousin, and had I been boxing anyone's ears lately. Before I could box his for talking so, Octavia called out to him to let me go, or I should be late, and had I not to scurry just. Agnes fortunately had everything ready, but I fussed so that my face was crimson when I got downstairs, and everyone was already there. There seemed to be dozens of people. You will see in the list in the morning post tomorrow what a number of the Naseby set there are here. Lord Valmon is here, but he did not see me until we were at dinner. I went in with Mr. Hodgkinson, who is contesting this division. He is quite young and wears an eyeglass, which he keeps dropping. 
He really looks silly, but they say he says some clever things if you give him time, and that he will be a great acquisition to the party he has joined now, as it is much easier to get made appear by the radicals. And that is what he wants, as his father made a huge fortune in bones and glue. He did not talk to me at all, but eat his dinner first, and then said, I don't believe in talking before the fish, do you? So I said, no, not till after the ices, unless one has something to say. He was so surprised that his eyeglass dropped, and he had to fumble to find it, so by that time I had begun to talk to old Colonel Blake, who was at the other side of me. Lady Doraine was looking so pretty. Her hair had grown much fairer and nicer than it was at Naseby. Lord Doraine is here too. His eyes are so close together. He plays a game called Bridge with Mr. Wirtz and Mr. Hodgkinson and Tom all the time. I mean in the afternoon before dinner. So Mr. Hodgkinson told me when we got to dessert. I suppose it was the first thing he had found to say. I asked him if it was a kind of leapfrog, because don't you remember we called it bridge when you had to jump too? He said no, that it was a game of cards, and much more profitable if one had the luck of Lord Doraine, who had won heaps of money from Mr. Wirtz. Afterwards, in the drawing-room, Lady Doraine came up to me and asked me where I had been hiding since the Naseby visit, and when she heard I had been in France, she talked a lot about the fashions. She has such a splendid new rope of pearls, and such lovely clothes. The ruses are here too, and Jane has a cold in her head. She says she heard by this evening's post that Miss Latouche is going to be married to old Lord Kidminster, and that he is too deaf to have heard everything, so it is just as well. I can't see why, as Miss Latouche is so nice, and never talks rubbish, so I think it's a pity he can't hear all she says, don't you? Lady Doraine calls Octavia darling. She stood fiddling with a diamond chain and purring over her frock, so I suppose she is fond of her in spite of Octavia hating her. After dinner, Lord Valmond came up to me at once. I felt in such a good temper, it was hard to be very stiff, he seemed so awfully glad to see me. He said I might have let him know what day it was that I crossed over to France after leaving Hazelden Court. He would have taken such care of me. I said I was quite able to take care of myself. Then he asked me if the people were nice in France. And when I said perfectly charming, he said some French women weren't bad, but the men were monkeys. I said it showed how little he knew about them. I had found them delightful, always polite and respectful and amusing, quite a contrast to some English people one was obliged to meet. His eyes blazed like two bits of blue fire, and when he looked like that, it made my heart beat, Mamma. I don't know why. He is so nice-looking, of course no Frenchman could compare to him, but I was obliged to go on praising them because it annoyed him so. He said I must have stayed there ages. He had been wondering and wondering when he was going to see me again. He said Mr. Hodgkinson was an ass, and he had been watching us at dinner. Then Lord Doraine came up, and Lady Doraine introduced him to me, and he said a number of nice things, and he has a charming voice. And Mr. Wirtz came up too, and spoke to me, and then Lady Doraine called Lord Valmond to come and sit on the little sofa by her, and she looked at him so fondly that I thought perhaps Lord Doraine might not like it. He tried not to see, but Mr. Wits did, and I think he must have a kind heart, because he fidgeted so, and almost at once went and joined them to break up the tete-a-tete, -tete, so that Lord Doraine might not be teased any more, I suppose. And everyone went to bed rather early, because of the ball and shoot tomorrow, and I must jump in too, as I am sleepy, so good night, dearest Mamma. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Chevenny Castle, 9th November. Dearest Mamma, such a lot to tell you in no time, as I must go down to tea. 
We passed rather a boring morning after the men had started for their shoot. Only a few people were down for breakfast, and none of the men who weren't guns. I suppose they were asleep. But Lady Grace Fenton was as cross as a bear because she wanted to go and shoot too. She is just like a man, and does look so odd and almost improper in the evening in female dress. And Tom won't have women out shooting except for lunch. Lady Doraine and Lady Greswold talked by the fire while they smoked, and Lady Greswold said she really did not know where the peers were to turn to now to make an honest penny, their names being no more good in the city, and that it was abominably hard that now, she had heard, they would have to understand business and work just like ordinary stock exchange people if they wanted to get on, and she did not know what things were coming to. At lunch, in the chalet in the wood, it was rather fun. Mr. Hodgkinson and Lord Doraine sat on either side of me. Lord Valmont came up with the last guns rather late, and he looked round the table and frowned. He seems quite grumpy now, not half so good temper as he used to be. I expect it is because Mrs. Smith isn't here. Mr. Wet was so beautifully turned out in the newest clothes and the loveliest stockings, and he had two loaders and three guns, and Lord Doraine told me that he had killed three pheasants. But the ground was knee-deep in cartridges round him, and Tom was furious, as he likes an enormous bag. So I asked why, if Mr. Wirtz was not a sportsman, had he taken the huge quickham shoot in Norfolk? Then Mr. Hodgkinson chimed in. Oh, to entertain royalty and the husbands of his charming lady friends! And he fixed his eyeglass and looked round the corner of it at Lord Lorraine, who drank a glass of peach brandy. After lunch, the men had to start quickly, as we had dawdled so, and so we turned to go back to the house. Octavia put her arm through mine, and we were walking on when Lady Lorraine joined us, with the woman who had glared at me in the omnibus. She looked as if she hated walking. She is not actually stout, but everything is as tight as possible, and it does make her puff. She was awfully smart and had the thinnest boots on. Lady Doraine was being so lovely to her, and Octavia was in one of her moods when she talks over people's heads, so we had not a very pleasant walk until we came to the stable gate, when Octavia and I went that way to see her new hunters. We had hardly got out of hearing when she said, Really, Elizabeth, how I dislike women. So I asked her who the puffing lady was, and she said, and Mrs. Pike, the new colonial millionaires. Horrid creature, as unnecessary as can be. So I asked her why she had invited her then, and she said her sister-in-law, Carrie, had got round Tom and made a point of it, as she was running them, and now Carrie had got the measles and could not come to look after the creature herself and it would serve her right if Folly Doraine took them out of her hands. And so you see, Mamma, everything has changed from your days, because this isn't a person you would dream of knowing. I don't quite understand what running them means, and as Octavia was a little out of temper I did not like to ask her, but Jane Roos is sure to know, so I will find out and tell you. I went and played with the children when we got in. They are such ducks, and we had a splendid romp. Little Tom is enormous for five, and so clever and Gwynnie is the image of Octavia when her hair was dark. Now I must go down to tea. 7.30. I was so late. Everyone was there when I got down in such gorgeous tea gowns. I wore my white mousseline delaine frock. The ruses have the look of using out their summer best dresses. Jane's cold is worse. The guns had got back, and came straggling in one by one as they dressed quickly or slowly, and Lord Lorraine had such lovely velvet suit on, and he said such nice things to me, and Lord Valmont sat at the other side, and seemed more ill-tempered than ever. I can't think what is the matter with him. At last he asked me to play patience with him, so I said that was a game one played by oneself, 
and he said he knew quite a new one which we were sure I would like to learn, but I did not particularly want to just then. Lady Doraine was showing Mr. Wetz her new one at the other side of the hall. There are some cosy little tables arranged for playing cards, with nice screens near, so that the other people's counting, etc., may not put one out. Mrs. Pike was too splendid for words, in petunia satin and sable, and quantities of pearl chains, and Tom was trying to talk to her. Nobody worries about Mr. Pike much, but Lord Doraine took him off to the billiard room, after collecting Mr. Wetz to play bridge. Everybody plays rich, I find, and then Lady Doraine came and joined Lord Valmond and me on the big sofa. Lord Valmond hardly spoke after that, and she teased him and said, Harry, what a child you are! And she looked as sweetly malicious as the tortoise shell cat at home does when it is going to scratch while it is purring. And presently, Dolly Tenterdown came over to us. He is in Cousin Jack's battalion of the Cold Streams, and he looks about fifteen, but he behaves very grown up and he asked Lady Doraine to come and teach him her new patience, and they went to one of the screen tables, and Lord Valmont said he was a charming fellow, but I thought he looked silly, and I do wonder what she found to say to him. She must be quite ten years older than he is, and Jane Roose says it is an awful sign of age when people play with boys. Lord Valmont asked me to keep him some dances tonight, but I said I really did not know what I should do until it began, as I had never been at a ball before. I haven't forgiven him a bit, so he need not think I have. Now I must stop. Oh, I am longing to put on my white tool, and I do feel excited. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. P.S. I asked Jane Roos what running them means, and it's being put on to things in the city, and having all your bills paid if you introduce them to people, only you sometimes have to write their letters for them to prevent them putting the whole grand address, etc., that is in the peerage and she says it is quite a profession now, and done by the best people, which of course must be true, as Carrie is Tom's sister. E. Chevenix Castle, 10th November. Dearest Mamma, Oh, it was too, too lovely last night. I am having my breakfast in bed today, just like the other grown-up people, and it really feels so grand to be writing to you between sips of tea and nibbles of toast and strawberry jam. Well, to tell you about the ball, First, my white tool was a dream. Octavia said it was by far the prettiest debutante frock she had ever seen, and when I was dressed she sent for me to her room, and Tom was there too, and she took out of a duck of a white satin case a lovely string of pearls and put it round my throat, and said it was their present to me for my first ball. Wasn't it angelic of them? I hugged and kissed them both, and almost squashed Tom's buttonhole into his pink coat. I was so pleased, but he said he didn't mind. And then we all went down together, and no one else was ready, so we looked through the rooms. The dancing, of course, was to be in the picture gallery, and the flowers were so splendid everywhere, and Octavia was quite satisfied. It is a mercy it is such a big house, for we weren't put out a bit beforehand by the preparations. I don't know if you were ever like that, Mamma, but I feel as if I must jump about and sing and my cheeks were burning. Octavia sat down and played a valse, and Tom and I opened the ball by ourselves in the empty room, and it was fun, and then we saw Lord Valmond peeping in at the door, and he came up and said Tom was not to be greedy, and so I danced the two last rounds with him, and he had such a strange look in his eyes, a little bit like Jean when he had the fit, and he never said one word until we stopped. Then Octavia went out of the door, and I don't know where Tom went, but we were alone, and so he said, would I forgive him for everything and be friends? 
and that he had never been so sorry for anything in his life as having offended me. He really seems so penitent, and he does dance so beautifully, and he's so tall and nice in his pink coat. And besides, I remembered his dinner with Aunt Maria, and how nasty I had been to him at Hazelden. So I said, all right, I would try, if he would promise me never to be horrid again. And he said he wouldn't, and then we shook hands, and he said I looked lovely, and that my frock was perfect. Then Tom came back, and we went into the hall, and everybody was down, and they had drawn for partners to go into the dinner while we were in the ballroom. Tom had made Octavia arrange that we should draw, as he said he could not stand Lady Greswold two nights running. Octavia said she had drawn for Lord Valmond because he wasn't there, and that his slip of paper was me, and he said on our way into the dining room that Octavia was a brick. We had such fun at dinner. Now that I have forgiven him, and have not to be thinking all the time of how nasty I can be, we get on splendidly. Mr. Wirtz was at the other side of me with Mrs. Pike, but as he isn't running them, he had not to bother to talk to her, and he is really very intelligent, and we three had such an amusing time. Lord Valmond was in a lovely temper. Jane Roos said afterwards in the drawing-room that it was because Mrs. Smith was coming with the courses to the ball. Lady Doraine had drawn Mr. Pike, who is melancholy-looking, with a long Jew nose, but she woke him up and got him quite animated by dessert, and Mrs. Pike did not like it one bit. I overheard her speaking to him about it afterwards, and he said so roughly, "'You mind your own climbing, Mary. You ought to be glad as it's turned to lady.' Well then, by the time we were assembled in the hall, everyone began to arrive. Oh, it was so, so lovely. Everyone looked at me as I stood beside Octavia at first, because they all knew the ball was given for me, and then for the first dance I danced with Tom, and after that I had heaps of partners, and I can't tell you about each dance, but it was all heavenly. I tried to remember what you said and not dance more than three times with the same person, but somehow Lord Valmond got four, and another, but that was an extra. Mrs. Smith did come with the courses, and she was looking so smart with a beautiful gown on, and Jane Rue said it was a mercy Valmond was so rich, but I don't see what that had to do with it. I saw him dancing with her once, but he looked as cross as two sticks, perhaps because she was rather late. Do you know, Mamma, a lot of the beauties we are always reading about in the papers as having walked in the park looking perfectly lovely were there, and some of them were quite, quite old, much older than you, and all trimmed up. Aren't you astonished? And one has a grown-up son and daughter, and she danced all the time with Dolly Tenderdown, who was her son's fag at Eton. Lord Doraine told me. Isn't it odd? And another was the lady that Sir Charles Hemsford was with on the promenade at Nice, when you would not let me bow to him, do you remember? And she is as old as the other. Lord Doraine was rather a bother. He wanted to dance with me so often. So at last I said to Octavia, I really was not at my first ball to dance with old men, he is quite forty, and what was I to do? And she was so cross with him, and I could see her talking to him about it when she danced with him herself next dance. And after that, till supper, he disappeared, into the smoking room, I suppose, to play bridge. I went into supper first with the Duke of Meath. He had just finished taking in Octavia. He is such a nice boy. And then, as we were coming out, we went down a corridor and there in a window-seat were Lord Valmond and Mrs. Smith, and he was still gloomy, and she had still the same green rhubarb-juice look she had the last night at Naseby. He jumped up at once, and said to me he hoped I had not forgotten I had promised to go into supper with him. So I said I had just come from supper, 
and while we were speaking Mrs. Smith had got the Duke to sit down beside her, and so I had to go off with Lord Valmont, and he seemed so odd and nervous, and as if he were apologising about something, but I don't know what it could have been, as he had not asked me before to go into supper with them. He seemed to cheer up presently, and persuaded me to go back into the supper-room, as he said he was so hungry, and we found a dear little table with big flower things on it in a corner. But when we got there he only played with an ortolan and drank some champagne, but he did take such a while about it, and each time I said I was sure the next dance was beginning he said he was still hungry. I have never seen anyone have so much on his plate and eat so little. At last I insisted on going back, and when we got to the ballroom an extra was on, and he said I had promised him that, but I hadn't. However, we danced, and after that, having been so long away at supper, and one thing and another, my engagements seemed to get mixed, and I danced with all sorts of people I hadn't promised to in the beginning. At last it came to an end, and when the last carriage had driven away, we all went and had another hot supper. Mr. Pike would sit next to Lady Doraine, and he was as gay as a blackbird, and I heard Octavia saying to Lady Greswold that Carrie had better hurry up and get that house in Park Street, or Lady Doraine would have it instead. Then we all went to bed, and Lord Valmont squeezed my hand and looked as silly as anything, and Jane Roos, who saw, said I had better be careful, as he was playing me off against Mrs. Smith. It was great impertinence of her, I think, don't you? Especially as Mrs. Smith had gone, so I can't see the point. Now I am going to get up. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Chevenny Castle, 13th November. Dearest Mamma, I enjoyed myself last night quite as much as at the ball here, but first I must tell you about Thursday and yesterday. The morning after the ball here no one came down till lunch, and in the afternoon Lady Doraine suggested we should have some tableau in the evening, so we were busy all the time arranging them. They were all bosh, but it was so amusing. Mrs. Pike lent every one her tea-gowns, and she has dozens, and they did splendidly for the Queen of Sheba, and Mr. Pike played Charles I, having his head cut off, as Lady Doraine told him he had just the type of lofty melancholy face for that. I was the old woman in the shoe, with all the biggest people for children, but the best of all was Dolly tented down as bubbles. Lord Doraine and Mr. Wetts and Tom and some others played bridge all the time while we were arranging them, but Lord Valmont was most useful and in such a decent temper. After they were over, we danced a little, and it was all delightful. Yesterday, the day of the county ball in Chevigny, they shot again, and it rained just as we all came down ready to start for the lunch, so we couldn't go, and had to lunch indoors without most of the men. Mr. Pike hadn't gone shooting, because I heard Tom saying the night before to Lady Doraine that he wouldn't chance the party being murdered again, and that she must keep him at home somehow. So she did, and taught him patience in the hall after lunch, and Mrs. Pike went and wanted to learn it too, but Lady Doraine, who was lovely to her, somehow did not make much room on the sofa, so she had to go and sit somewhere else. Half the people were playing bridge, and the rest were very comfortable and smoking cigarettes, of course, so Mrs. Pike did too. Her case is gold, with a splendid monogram in big rubies on it, but I am sure it makes her feel sick, because she puffs it out and makes it burn up as soon as she can without its being in her mouth. So she had to go and lie down after that, as she said she would be too tired for the ball, but nobody paid much attention. It was more lively at tea-time when the guns came in, and Lord Doraine would sit by me, he talked about poetry and said dozens of nice things about me, and all sorts of amusing ones about everyone else and Lord Valmont, who had gone to write some letters at the table near, 
seemed so put out with everyone talking that he could not keep his attention, and at last tore them up, and came and sat close to us, and told Lord Lorraine that he could see Mr. Wentz was longing for bridge. And so he got up and laughed in such a way, and said, All right, Harry, old boy. And Valmont got crimson, I don't know what at, and looked as cross as a bear for a few minutes. We had rather a hurried dinner. My white chiffon is as pretty as the two, and Octavia was quite pleased with me. There were omnibuses and two borogams for us to go in. Octavia took me with her alone in one. I wanted to go in one of the omnibuses. It looked so much gayer, but she wouldn't let me. It is not much of a drive, as you know, and we all got there at the same time almost, and our party did look so smart as we came in. Octavia sailed like a queen up the room to a capital raised place at the end, and there held a sort of court. The Duchess of Glamorgan was already there with her three daughters, and their teeth stick out just like Mrs. Vavasor's, only they look ready to bite, and she was always smiling. The men of their party were so young, and looked as if they would not hurt a fly, and the Duchess had me introduced to her and asked about you. And Mrs. Pike tried to join in the conversation, and the Duchess fixed on her pince-nez, and looked at her for quite ten seconds, and then said, when she had retired a little, Who is this gorgeous person? And when I said Mrs. Pike, she said, I don't remember her name, in a tone that dismissed Mrs. Pike from the universe as far as she was concerned. And Jane Rue says she is almost the only Duchess who won't know parvenus, and that is what makes her set so dull. There were such a lot of funny, frumpy people at the other end of the room. The rabble, Mrs. Pike called them. Let us walk round and look at the rabble, she said to Lord Doraine, who was standing by her. And they went. I had such lots of partners, I don't know what anyone else did. I was enjoying myself so, and I hope you won't be annoyed with me, as I am afraid I danced oftener than three times with Lord Vermont. Mrs. Smith seemed to be with the little duke a great deal, and she glared at me whenever she passed. I like English balls much better than French, though perhaps I can't judge, as I was never at a real one there. But Englishmen are so much better looking, and everybody doesn't get so hot, and it is nice having places to sit out and talk without feeling you are doing something wrong. Coming home, Octavia made Lady Doraine and Mrs. Pike go in her brougham, and she and I went in one of the omnibuses. Lord Doraine sat between me and Octavia, and I suppose he was afraid of crushing her dress, for he positively squashed me, he sat so close. Lord Valmont was at the other side of me, and somebody must have been pushing him, because he sat even nearer me than Lord Doraine, and between them I could hardly breathe. It was fortunate it was a cold night. Before we got to the park gates, somehow the light went out, and all the way up the avenue people held each of my hands. I could not see who they were, and I tried to get them away, but I couldn't, and I was afraid to kick like I did to Charlie Carriston, as it might have been Mr. Hodgkinson who was sitting opposite, and so there would have been no good in kicking Lord Doraine or Lord Valmont, but I just made my fingers as stiff as iron and left them alone. It is a surprise to me, Mamma, to find that gentlemen in England behave like this. I call it awfully disappointing, and I am sure they could not have done so when you were young. It seems they are just as bad as the French. I told Octavia about it when she came to tuck me up in bed, and she only went into a fit of laughter. And when I was offended, she said she would see that next time I went to a ball with her, that I had a chaperone on each side coming home. I bowed as stiffly as I could in saying good night to Lord Doraine and Lord Vermont, and they both looked so astonished that perhaps it was Mr. Hodgkinson after all. It is awkward not knowing, isn't it? 
This morning all the guests are going, and on Monday, as you know, Tom and Octavia take me with them to stay at Fort Yamble Place, with the Merry Hartleys for the Grassfield Hunt Ball. It will be fun, I hope, but I can never enjoy myself more than I have done here. Now, good-bye, dear Mamma, your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. P.S. Octavia says the Mary Hartleys aren't people you would know, but one must go with the times, and she will take care of me. E. End of section 16